The Bible reading tonight is from Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 to 14. It will be up on the screen behind me. Ecclesiastes 12, the whole chapter, says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, when people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They are collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. No. Oh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here today. I'll just take my jacket off. Uh, and it's a great privilege because uh, I do come to you with... Uh, a genuine care and love for you as my brothers and sisters. I pray for you regularly um, as one of my sons comes to the church here. Uh, and to be able to bring to you God's word tonight is a great privilege. I'm not sure if you know, but today is Reformation Sunday, um, when we remember what happened under Martin Luther. And one of the old fathers, I'm not who sh said, who, sure who said this, but God's word is like a chart through which he uses for us to navigate our way to eternity. Uh, and how true is that? Uh, and every, every line of scripture, this father says, is of more value than the greatest gold mine. 
Uh, and my prayer tonight is that God's word indeed will be something that we would know the value of and would lead us as we're all heading for eternity. Let me lead you briefly in prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you that your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. And we ask tonight that you may pour the Holy Spirit upon us, that we may see the glory and the truth of your gospel ever more deeply, that your word would move us to that deeper holiness of life, that deeper repentance, that we truly will know the encouragement and the strength that comes from your word, ready for your return. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've conducted uh, well over 150 funerals, but there's one that stands out from all of them. Her name was Connie Eaton. Uh, she suffered a lot more than most of us. Uh, due to an operation gone wrong, Connie became a paraplegic. Uh, this particular event happened at a time in life when her mobility was most needed. Uh, she was raising her four children with her husband, Terry. And I remember at Connie's funeral, I was watching her pictorial eulogy. And we saw this woman who suffered gracefully. Uh, she loved those around her. And in fact, she did what was necessary to care for all who she came across, even though she was in quite a position of weakness. Connie truly was a model of selflessness. And her capacity to love was quite significant. Uh, to give you an example, uh, she even wrote birthday cards for her grandchildren to open years after her death. Uh, she was a Christian woman. Uh, what we didn't see in her life, we didn't see a woman who angrily held her fist up to God and say, why me? Uh, we did not see self-pity. There was no bitterness. There was no guile, resentment or hostility, either towards God or others. And during Connie's pictorial eulogy, I can remember I thought to myself, what does this all mean if at the end of the day we die? But what does all of Connie's goodness, love, gracefulness, what does it all matter if at the end of the day, Connie is dead. In fact, in two generations' time, Connie and all of us here, we won't even be remembered. See, death raises many questions, but the one that I think causes the most angst is the question of meaning. What does life mean if at the end of the day, I die? Now, questions about death and meaning are not new. Over 3,000 years ago, there lived a man who is described as the wisest man who ever lived. And you know his name. It's King Solomon. He was a king, a statesman, an author, a composer, a poet, a botanist, a scientist, an architect. He was a political reformer, a military mastermind and a sage. Uh, no man matched Solomon's wisdom either before him or after him. 
Solomon wrote a book of wisdom which we call Ecclesiastes. In this book, Solomon wrestles with the problem of death. He makes the astute observation that death makes it impossible to find meaning in the things of this world. And he should know because in his pursuit to find meaning, he denied himself nothing. For example, he denied himself no pleasure, he undertook great projects, he acquired huge farms, he amassed gold and silver, he brought musicians for himself to enjoy, he established a harem for, a harem for himself as well. Listen to the conclusion he comes to in chapter 2 after he's done all this. This is from chapter 2, verses 17b to 18. He says this. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. See, death is a reason why Solomon did not find meaning in his work, his achievements or his pleasures. See, he says at the end of the day... I'm going to die and leave it all to, an, to, 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 an, to another. What's the point? He then seeks meaning in wisdom. Now, there's no doubt he saw that wisdom is better than foolishness, but the conclusion he comes to in his pursuit of wisdom is very, very instructive. Let me read to you. This is chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He says this. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks around in darkness. But I came to realise that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of a fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this also is meaningless. See, again, the reason why Solomon doesn't find meaning in wisdom is death. Both the wise and the fools dies. Solomon goes on in Ecclesiastes and he says, there's no use in trying to find meaning in money or possessions. In verses five, chapter 5, verse 15, he says this, Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil, and they carry nothing in their hands. Do you see, again, death is a reason as to why for Solomon, meaning is not found in money. It's not found in possessions because death cuts us off from them. Now, I haven't got time tonight, but throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon observes that meaning is not found in children. It's not found in youth. It's not found in wickedness. It's not found in reputation, drunkenness, houses and possessions. Death, according to Solomon makes it impossible to find meaning in things. The reason why? Solomon tells us in chapter 3, verse 11. Let me read it to you. He, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. At the very heart of our being, God has set us up to live forever. He made us to enjoy him and his creation forever. 
This means that death is the enemy of our God-given desires to live and enjoy life forever. Why does death feel so wrong? We weren't made to die. The reason why we grieve is that we're not made for endings. Tonight, just the thought of losing everything we have and everything we love grieves our hearts. This came home to me in the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, I went to the doctor, and as I came in, the doctor says, it's not great news, Jace. All right. Says you have a growth on your thyroid and it looks like cancer. We'll do a biopsy, we'll get it tested, we're going to send you to a specialist. I walked out of a surgery. And while there's no doubt I truly felt the peace and comfort of God, the idea that I may lose everything and everyone I loved grieved my heart. Now the good news is when I went to get the biopsy, the specialist said it's a misdiagnosis. It was a cyst, not cancer. Friends, if God did not set eternity in our hearts, then death would be a natural part of life, would it not? And I imagine we would find meaning in the things of this world. If we were made for endings, we would embrace them. But God set eternity in our hearts. We're not made for endings. So what's the solution? Solomon, in his search for meaning, it took him to the temporal things of this world, but once he discovered that he can't find meaning in the things of this world, he then looks to the eternal. And in the last chapter of his book, Solomon concludes these things. Death will be unravelled. Our spirits will return to God. And he will be our judge. Let me just reread some of those verses to show you what I mean. Solomon says, Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirits returns to God who gave it. Solomon is starting to look to the eternal and he's saying, Remember God. Because one day death will be unravelled. We will return to God. And then he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of a matter. Here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is a duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Friends, according to Solomon, not only is there life beyond the grave, not only do our spirits return to God, but there is judgment. One day, beyond the grave, God will judge everything we've done, whether it's good or bad. This is a profound revelation, right? Because what Solomon is saying is that everything we do now matters for eternity. See, if God will bring everything into judgment, this means that every thought, word, action and affection matters for eternity. 
Solomon is telling us that meaning is not found in temporary things, but in eternal realities. Death has been unravelled. There is life beyond the grave. God is there and he is our judge. The book of Ecclesiastes records Solomon's search for meaning. He sets off looking for meaning in the temporary things of this world, but discovers death makes it impossible to find meaning in those things. Why? Because God set eternity in our hearts. So then he looks to the eternal realities and he concludes that living life in the light of these realities gives meaning to our life now. That's what he's saying. While Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, the New Testament tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God personified. The wisdom that Solomon taught and proclaimed in Ecclesiastes, it's the Lord Jesus who makes it possible for us to experience this. So, for example, if Solomon teaches us that meaning in this life is found when we live our lives in the light of eternal realities, then it's the Lord Jesus who makes it possible for us to do this. Let me give you an example. How is it possible for us to think, speak, act and feel in a way that pleases God our judge? Through Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom from God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, the Lord Jesus is described as the vine and we're the branches. We're told that whoever by faith remains in Christ, our true vine, God will produce in that person good, abundant and eternal fruit. Eternal fruit. Uh, the vision we see in, in, in John chapter 15 is that when we're united to Christ by faith, he produces in us the, the, the fruit that will last eternally. The things that matters for all eternity, godliness and holiness and repentance and righteousness and faith and love and so on. The Lord Jesus Christ makes it possible to live out the wisdom that Solomon proclaims. Again, how can any of us remember God? Through Christ. How can we who are imperfect stand before the perfect judge and not be condemned? Through Christ. How can we live a life now that pleases God, our judge? Through Christ. Through Christ, who is our wisdom from God. If you are a Christian here tonight, and you are facing the possibility of a life-limiting illness, take heart, for death does not render your life meaningless. Yes, you will meet God as your judge. Yes, through Christ, you will not be condemned, for you are in Christ and he is in you. Rejoice, for God is at peace with you, and through Christ Jesus, every godly act you did, every caring word you ever spoke, every godly affection that you felt matters for eternity. Isn't that wonderful? Everything we do now matters for eternity, and through Christ, all the good fruit he is producing will matter then. That's what makes life meaningful now. Early this year, I had a phone call from a research company wanting to know about my future investment options. 
I really like to talk to those people. Um, the lady from this research company, she, she asked me, what would I more likely be investing my money in over the next 12 months, shares, property or investment bearing accounts? And then she said to me, it was very interesting, she said, now you must be honest. I said, okay. I said, my most likely future investment is in the kingdom of heaven. And she said, I haven't heard of that investment. <laughs> and I explained to her, I said, one day I'll be in heaven and I'll be before the Lord, my creator, and I want to invest in the things that have an eternal dividend. Things like helping the poor, supporting missionaries, caring for my brothers and sisters, supporting the church. She then said to me, I have no option for this in the survey. I told you to choose one of the options I'd given you. And I said to her, but you told me to be honest. We were at a stalemate. I couldn't go on with the survey. If today you are suffering a life-limiting illness, please remember that when in the response to the grace of God upon your life, you receive from Christ and you obeyed his word, every time in your life when through the power of Jesus and his grace, you gave of your wealth, you helped the poor, you used your gifts within the life of a church, you were investing in eternity. Every time you used your time, talents and treasure to advance the gospel in the world, you were, you were making an eternal investment. And by God's grace, there is a divine dividend waiting for you. And again, it's on account of his generosity. Uh, coming back to Connie's funeral. Death did not make her life meaningless. Because all her love and good works mattered not only in this world, but for all eternity. It's true that in two generations' times, Connie and all of us here will not be remembered on earth. But death has been unravelled. We will be with the Lord forever. And how we live now will be remembered by God. Everything you have done in this life matters for eternity. And that's what makes our lives meaningful. And, and no doubt, don't hear me wrong, all our good works are filled with imperfections. But Christ in his mercy makes them acceptable to God. If today you are mourning or grieving the loss of your Christian loved ones, please take heart. Death does not render their life meaningless. Yes, Death separates you from them. But every good and loving act that you experience for them matters in eternity. Every good and godly work they did through Christ, God will bring to account and they will experience God's gracious reward. And every sin and failure they committed will not be held against them because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. See, while their bodies turn to dust, their souls are in the presence of Christ, awaiting the glory of their resurrection bodies and their eternal reward. Earlier this year, I attended a funeral held at Car Villa here in Launceston. Now, I'm not sure if you've been to the chapel there, but it's right in the middle of a whole cemetery. 
When you go to the chapel, you drive through the cemetery and you pass hundreds of graves. I find it a very sobering experience. When I arrived at the chapel, there were only a few people present. I was early, so in filling my time, I walked through the chapel rose garden. And there I noticed plaques inscribed with the names of those who had died and messages of love from families. When it was time, I entered the chapel. And right in the middle of the chapel, before all of us there, was the coffin that held the body of my friend who died. The service began, and the person who led the funeral warmly welcomed us. Then they said this, they said, Today, we are not going to talk about death or that side of things. And I thought to myself, why aren't we going to talk about death? Death was all around us, right before us. We were sitting in the middle of a cemetery. Our desire to avoid the reality of death runs very deep because death cuts us off from the reality that everyone loses everything. It makes us ask the question about meaning. It can leave us with a feeling of despair for we know one day death will cut us off from everything and everyone we love in this world. But take heart. Look to God, for while death awaits everyone, there is an eternity to come. My sisters and brothers, call upon God to ready you for that day. He readies us through his wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. More than this, through Christ, everything we do now matters for all eternity. And again, this is what makes life meaningful. According to Solomon, it's better to go to a funeral than a wedding. In chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, he says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Why, according to Solomon, is an invitation to a funeral better than an invitation to a wedding? So that you will lay it to your heart that one day... It will be you in the coffin. We need to remember death, remember judgment, and remember Christ, looking to him because he makes life meaningful now and for all eternity. Let me lead you in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the almighty God. Your goodness is infinite. Your love is immeasurable. Your power is indescribable. And we thank you that in your glorious might and power, you come close to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that you are our true vine and you make our lives meaningful. We ask, Lord, please, help us not to live as if we're never going to die. May we remember death and remember Christ. May we live our lives in the light of eternity. Help us, Father, not to look for meaning in the things of this world, but in the things to come, 
And gracious Lord Jesus, wisdom from God, fill us with your spirit that everything we do now will be spirit-led, centred in you, that you would produce in us that good, abundant and eternal fruit that we'll know the wonderful joy of living meaningful lives in you, both today and for all eternity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.